about teaching in that single chapter book <laughs> of Jude. But anyway, last time we were here, we were basically dealing with verses 1 through 13. And we want to remember that uh, the idea of Jude's epistle is reflected on the second epistle of Peter. And in the second epistle of Peter, Peter was forewarning the Christian Jews, these Jewish disciples, that there would come, just like it was in the old times, false prophets, there would be false teachers that would come up amongst them. Jude, a letter written a few years later, basically is the fulfillment where Jude is saying, those whom Peter had warned us who would come have now come. And so as we, what we'll find is there is a great similarity between uh, Second Peter as well, Second Peter and Jude as almost like parallel. And that's because Jude possessed the writings, of course, he possessed the writings of Peter's second epistle. And Jude was speaking of those things which were being fulfilled according to the writing of Second Peter. All right. But anyway, so the last time we were here with respect to Jude uh, in dealing with that instance of the coming of false teachers, I'm sorry, the presence of false teachers, uh, Jude basically dealt with the same issues as Peter in talking how these men had come in unawares and the foundational problem with which I, I, I should I even say principal problem that they were having was these men were turning, as Jude said it, turning the grace of our God into licentiousness. That is, uh, and we don't, and I, as a matter of fact, so I won't have to get into all of the details of this. If you have not seen the video, of course, that we did on the first section of Jude, then it will be very much uh, uh, helpful and beneficial that you go and check it out. But let's just get into that point. Turn the grace of God into licentiousness. That is, we know that we are all saved by grace uh, through faith alone. We know that it is not about works. But what these men were doing is they were saying that, yes, we are saved by grace and by saved by faith and belief in Jesus Christ. And this allows us to continue to live as we want to live and to engage in all types of sin and uh, especially, notably, sexual immorality. And so this is what Jude meant when he said, turning the grace of God. You're not saved by what you do, but nevertheless, as Peter taught in his second epistle, and we see that a lot in 2 Peter chapter 1, what we do evidences whether or not we have genuinely been saved or not. But these false teachers, just as Peter said, would come in with these false doctrines the licentiousness, and we see that a lot being talked about in Jude and even especially in Second Peter. Again, that parallelism that exists between Jude and Second Peter. But, and denying the Lord, and this is also what Peter talked about, that is concerning Christology, that is, no big words here, but the doctrine of Christ, the things concerning Christ. That is, you must understand the dual nature of Jesus, that in the beginning, Jesus is eternal God, but he is eternal God made flesh for a purpose to live that righteous life so that it may be accounted to us as righteousness to die the sinful death that he might become our substitute 
and to be resurrected from the dead, a life that is approved by God the Father. But nevertheless, the doctrines concerning the person and works of Jesus Christ must be understood properly. And we talked about that earlier because what? There's a warning that the scriptures give us that you may actually be deceiving yourselves that you are saved and actually are not. And of course, this is the idea of what these false teachers are doing. But let's just move on through it. And so his whole point and the point of the letter itself is, although the letter of Jude, although these false teachers are now here and are exercising their uh, licentious conduct that for the most part is seeped in sexual immorality, just like Peter's told you, they will be judged. And he gave these three examples of judgment, one, one uh, additional than Peter. And he talked about the people coming out from Egypt then he talked about the two that he had in common with Peter, the judgment of the angels in the days of Noah, as well as the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain. And one thing that we want to always make notice is the thing that they all had in common, sexual immorality. And it tends to be the case that once people leave the truth of the doctrines that are in scripture, they usually engage in some, in some sort of sexual immorality or idolatry. And idolatry does not simply mean the serving of wood or serving of stone, but oftentimes it simply means the serving of self. And this is also what Jude is talking about here. But nevertheless, so they'll be destroyed. And then he talked about another issue of uh, some of those descriptors of these particular men and principal issues that he had with them. Some of the principal issues, that's in verse number eight, when he talked about in their dreaming, and we don't want to rehash all of this, so let me cut this out, make this short. They're dreaming in the sense that they have departed from the truth of scriptures. And that's when, again, it's the relationship. When Peter said in his epistle that no scripture is of one's own private interpretation, but holy men spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. These false teachers are speaking of themselves, of their flesh, and it is of their own mindset. And this is what Jude means about dreaming. But what does it ultimately do? Defile the flesh. This is the three principal thing. Defile the flesh, reject authority, and revile angelic majesty. Now, we're not going to get into all of that, but defile the flesh speaks for itself but also to an issue of rejection of authority, rejection of apostolic, the authority of the apostles and the re reviling of angelic majesty, speaking evil, speaking evil or foolishness or ignorantly concerning creatures to the which they don't even understand. That is angels themselves. And he gave the example of how even Michael, a great angel himself, did not speak evil of Satan, even though Satan was a fallen angel. And this was a contrast between Michael, an angel of great power, and these evil men and false teachers speaking of angelic authority, and they don't even have power themselves, but nevertheless, they speak so strong in these things. And then he finally talked about the, the, the judgment the judgment that has come upon these people, which is the overall tenor of the letter. 
And then he opens up these issues concerning the descriptors of these men. He talks about how they have gone into the way of Cain. All of that is in the previous video, which is false religion and uh, how they've gone into the era of Balaam, which deals with greediness for money and gain and perished in the rebellion of Korah, which deals with the desire to attain authority and exercise power, a power in or amongst God's people that God has not given them. And that's when he works out all of those descriptors as we end in verse number 13. These men being hidden reefs and things of that nature to the which I'm not going to cover. Now, with all of that being said, let's complete Jude. Now, this part should be the end of Jude should be relatively short, but there are a couple of points that we want to look at closely. But we are continuing verse number 14 and continue to the end of the book. We will be continuing with those descriptors that Jude gave concerning these fallen men. Now, what you have to understand is Jude is speaking about false teachers, but also there is the assumption, there is the assumption inherent of men who follow after them. Because remember, even Jesus says, what about the blind leading the blind and what they all fall into the ditch, not just the blind leaders, but the blind leaders along with those who follow after them. So this judgment that uh, Jude is talking about is not only simply the judgment of the false teachers themselves, but also a uh, 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 looking forward to the judgment of Christ for those who follow after them. And we'll see why uh, Jude says what he says at the end of this epistle. But anyway, concerning the judgment of the false teachers, verse 14. It was also about these men that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied saying, behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Let's do verse 16. These are grumblers finding fault, following after their own lust. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. Okay, so what does he say? Again, the idea is these false teachers will be judged. And why? Enoch spoke of their judgment long ago. And this Enoch we find in the book of Genesis, he is in, he is the seventh one from Adam. He calls him the seventh generation of Adam. And Enoch spoke concerning these people. Now, I don't want to get into a lot of details concerning this, but what we have here is a quotation from the book of Enoch. All right. From the book of Enoch. And what Jude is doing is, Jude is pulling out a particular quotation from this book and stating it as truth. He is not saying that the book of Enoch is scripture. He is just simply saying that this, which is quoted in the pseudepigrapha, the book of Enoch, and this is, this is the book that came about roughly about 110 BC, something to that nature. And, and of course it was not written by 
Enoch, Enoch had been dead a long time ago, but it is assumed that these were prophecies that were traditionally spoken by Enoch. All right. They are this particular book is not in our canon of scripture and neither shall it be. But what Jude is saying is this thing that was spoken and written that is attributed to Enoch. He says, indeed, Enoch did say these things and this passage is true. He is not validating the whole book. He is simply validating or affirming a single position here. Okay, so I'm done with that. But the point is, now let's get back into the context of what he's dealing with. He is saying that their judgment, just like Peter did in 2 Peter, was long ago spoken of. How long ago? Even from the time of Enoch, the seventh of Adam. And it is also interesting too. Enoch, the seventh from Adam. And we know seventh is a number of what? Finality, completion. And it can also speak of, especially in this context, judgment. But he spoke of the judgment that will come upon these false teachers at the advent of the Messiah. And we understand this to be what? the second advent of Jesus, when Jesus returns with myriads and myriads of his saints and angels to bring judgment upon the world. And notice one thing that is clear, we can see in verse number 15, who is the audience of that expected judgment? They are the ungodly. Notice how many times he uses the words ungodly. Convict in, in verse number 15 convict all the ungodly of their what ungodly deeds which they have done what in an ungodly way and all of the harsh things which what ungodly sinners so it is clear without a shadow of a doubt that these false teachers are not just simply misled but these are men like he said earlier both peter and jude like animals guided by their natural instincts who are meant only for destruction. They are not saved. They have never been saved, even though they may have heard the truth. The truth never truly permeated in their heart. What? Going back to Peter, the dog remains a dog and the pig remains a pig. There was never true conversion, even though they have a knowledge about Jesus and the knowledge about uh, uh, salvation and this knowledge is not even correct, but they may have a knowledge about it, but they themselves have never experienced true conversion. They were never born again. But anyway, there will be judgment upon these people in verse number 16. Notice he said they are grumblers finding fault. And one of the main un uh, 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 points Concerning this is their rejection of the truth, their rejection of true doctrine, their rejection of what the scriptures teach concerning Jesus, their rejection of what the scriptures teach concerning holy living, their reject all of these things. Because matter of fact, if you consider it, these are the things that Peter talked about in his epistle. That is number one in the first epistle, godly living. In the second epistle, the evidence that one truly has intimate knowledge of Jesus is by the way that you live. You got it? So what is the problem? They 
have fault with these things. And the problem is, it's not so much as the, the scripture or the apostolic teachings, that is the teachings of the apostle, they are driven by their own lust, following after their own lust. It's not what the scripture says, it's what they want to do and how they want to live. And one of the principal things that we all must understand, when you come to Christ, you have to be willing to die. And that's when Jesus talks about the taking up your cross and following him. A cross is not something that you take to your glory. A cross is something that you take to your death. So you must be willing to die in all things and live to the glory of Jesus alone. But anyway, and again, it talks about what their confidence in how they speak and in their prideful arrogance. Remember, I talked about this earlier, uh, uh, um, probably in second Peter at the beginning of chapter one, a hallmark of false teachers is arrogance. It is the lack of humility. And we saw that earlier when Peter talked about speaking of angelic, ma angelic majesties, same thing Jude talks about here, speaking against angelic majesties. And remember I was talking, I gave an example about people talking about putting your foot on the devil and binding the devil. We have found this to be completely unscriptural. Why? Remember what Peter, as well as Jude even said it. Jude said, there's here, you got Michael, who is an archangel. But nevertheless, even he does not bring about an accusation against Satan. And here we have, in our case, mortal men who have no power whatsoever in and of themselves, limited in whatever authority that they think they have, but nevertheless, think that they can bind the devil. No, you cannot, but enough of that. And why do they do? What is the motivation behind these false teachers? That's at the end of verse number 16. They speak and they teach these things to people for the sake of gain. Here it says for gaining an advantage. And the word actually is a before the face for a, a advantage of Karim. But the idea, Idea ophiles, ophilias, that's the actual word, which basically is considered as not only just simply a gain for some type of advantage, but even a gain of material possession. So the idea is, why do false teachers teach what they teach? What is the motivation behind false teacher? Bottom line, material gain. And if you listen to them, that's why we have all of this and I'm not going to get I'm not going to get uh, uh, sidetracked, but you need to understand the practical application of what Jude is trying to say. This is why we have all this false teaching today. And notice when you listen to all of this Creflo Dollar and all of this T.D. Jake's foolishness and all of this Kenneth Copeland and Jesse Duplantis and, and the list go Paula White and, and, and Joyce Meyer. The list goes on and on. Everything is about gaining material advantage in this world, about money, about what they perceive as blessed. And now Jude is going to actually talk about that as well. So I guess I probably shouldn't preach too much on that. But this is what we see. The foolishness of Joel Osteen living your best life now. And let me say this. 
I am not living my best life now because I still struggle. I still weep. I look forward to the coming of Jesus. I look forward to the fulfillment of scripture when God himself has said, and God will wipe away all tears from their eyes. There will be no more suffering, no more death. I look forward to that day. This life is a struggle. This life, as Jesus has said, is my cross. Not my deliverance, my cross. But anyway, let's get back to the text. But in a contrary way, that is, you, unlike these false teachers, don't you be like them, you be like this. And this is what Jude is going to say as he brings his letter to a close. Verse 17, but you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you in the last time, there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly minded, devoid of the spirit. So notice he sets a contrast between the true saints of God and these false teachers, right? True saints, and this is the problem. Remember what it said uh, earlier when it said the false teachers uh, had an issue with the rejection of doctrine, the rejection of the teachings of the apostles. You true Christians remember right doctrine, remember right teachings, remember the things that were spoken to you by the apostles. And this is when, uh, uh, and without the point that I was making just a second ago is false teachers, they reject authority. They rejected the authority of the apostles to lay down the doctrines for the church. They did it of themselves. The memory called them dreamers. Where did it come from? It was not the spirit of God. They were not holy men carried by the spirit of God. They were men who of their own interpretation of their own fleshly desire came up with how that they wanted to live and try to teach people these things. Okay, enough of that. Contrary, you follow the teachings of the apostles. What does it say for us now? We are to follow the teachings of the scripture. And that's what Paul said. Remember 2 Timothy chapter 4? Paul said to Timothy, do what? Preach the word. Be instant, in season, be out of season. Why? Why was Paul pushing the need to preach the word at every occasion possible? He says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They don't want to put up with it. They don't want to listen and they definitely don't want to live by sound doctrine. And who is it? They he ain't talking about the world. He, the world has never been concerned about Christ. The world has never been concerned about God. The world has always been in darkness. What is he talking about? They will not endure. He's talking about the so-called people of God. They reject doctrine. They reject apostolic teachings, they reject the clear teachings of scripture and still want to call themselves Christians. For example, you hear the terminology and I'm, it's, it's, it's an oxymoron. 
a gay Christian. There is no such thing as a gay Christian. What does the Apostle Paul teach in 1 Corinthians chapter 6? Do not allow any person to deceive you. If you are practicing sin, heaven you will never see. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. And homosexuality, practicing homosexuality, was listed among such sin. But nevertheless, you have even denominations set apart for gay and lesbian and, and, and L, what is it, LGBTQ and all of that type of foolishness who have deceived themselves into thinking somehow you can worship Christ, you are acceptable to Christ, or even the, 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 the worst foolishness of all, God made them this way. No, sin made them this way. God made them either, as the Bible says in Genesis chapter one, male or female. And therefore, according to the servant of God, he intended if he made you a man, act like a doggone man. And if he made you a woman, act like a doggone woman. But enough of that, because I went into preaching. But they reject their apostolic teachings. Verse number 18 says, and again, remember Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3, that in the last days, mockers will come in their mocking. And again, Jude brings it up, which lets you know he had the epistle probably right in his head. But talking about what? In the last time, and these are the last days. The last days begin from the moment of the resurrection, resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ until his second coming. We can call that a whole period of time, the second coming, but in or in the last days. But nevertheless, the mockings will come. Remember the mockings that Peter talked about was the delay of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here the mockings that uh, Jude is talking about is a mocking in general, a mocking of the authority of the apostles with the desire to live according to their ungodly lust. And that's the reason why they do what they do. They want to be free to indulge in the lusts of the flesh. They want to be free to gratify the desires of their flesh. He says these false teachers, these people of such mindsets, they cause divisions in the body, and then he uses the term worldly-minded. The word is sukikoi in the Greek, sukikoi in the Greek. That is everything that pertains to the flesh, those things that are not of the Spirit of God, but pertains to the flesh, indulging the flesh, satisfying the flesh. And whenever you use that term flesh, which is usually the Greek word sarkos, it usually denotes that which is evil that comes of the evil, sinful nature that is in us all. Instead of looking to deny the flesh, they are looking to find opportunity to fulfill and satisfy the flesh. That's why I said they are worldly minded or sometimes you can even translate that word, that word soulish, soulish. That's why he says at the very end, what? devoid of having the spirit. They are not moved. They do not operate. They do not seek the things 
of the spirit. They do not seek the things of God. They seek the things that satisfy the flesh, trying to get all and be all that you can be in this world. And that's why John said, what, I'm going to say this and I'm going to move on. What did John say? Do not love the world, neither the things that are in the world for all that is in the world. What's in the world? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes and pride of life. All of these things, none of these things are of God, but are of the world. And tell me about all of this foolishness in the world. John continues, and the world is passing away and all of its lust. But he who does the will of God, the one who is of the spirit, remains forever. But anyway, enough of that. So the point that he is simply making here is the rejection of apostolic authority. They ultimately cause division because they want to live according to the flesh. 20. Again, as he goes on, he contrasts it. These no good jokers do not be like them. But you notice if they are fleshly, you follow the spirit. If they are worldly minded, you quite naturally be what? What is the contrast of worldly minded? Be heavenly minded. Set your mind on things above, as the apostle Paul would say. But anyway, what? But you, verse number 20, beloved, building yourselves up upon your most holy faith. You can see second Peter all in there. Building yourself upon your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Okay. So let me talk about that. Let me talk about that. And then we'll get to the rest of that because, okay. Again, the contrast and what, how he wants, how they think, what motivates them and how they live and how he wants true Christians to think what motivates true Christians and how he wants true Christians to live. And that's what he means when he says the building up yourself on your most holy faith. It's the same thing when Peter talked about, remember when Peter said this in second epistle, Adding to your faith, adding in your faith. I'm sorry, that's a better translation. Adding in your faith to be diligent. Remember, we talked about this whole point, living all that you can live for God in holiness, in godliness, in righteousness, living the best way that you can. Why? So that at the appearance of Jesus, he will welcome you home, he will welcome you gladly. He'll say those wonderful words, hopefully, that we all want Jesus to say. Well done, good and faithful servant. This is the same thing that Jude is talking about here. He's saying what again? Build yourselves in your holy faith. Live best you can. Praying in the Holy Spirit, you're not guided by what that sukkah remember that? You're not guided by the flesh. You're not guided by fleshly desire, but your guidance will be by the Holy Spirit. You are not looking for things in and of this world. You are looking for things of the next. How do you know? 
Keep yourself in the love of God. That's again, that stress of diligence. That's that emphasis to live right, to live godly. He ain't saying you going to heaven by the way that you live. He is simply restating what Peter said about this interest that will be opened up unto you. Go back and look at the teaching that we did in second Peter and his epistle. And remember that we said that there is a great parallelism between the epistle of Jude and second Peter. But the point that Jude is simply uh, uh, enunciating here is live right, live right. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Why? Waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Waiting for the appearance of Jesus. That's what he talks about. This mercy of Jesus Christ. Wait when Jesus comes back. Jesus will reward his people. Jesus will reward those who are able to look at this life and deny this life to look at the pleasures, the sinful pleasures of this world and the sinful pleasures of this, of the flesh and deny all of these things waiting for Jesus to come back. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to deny all of this crap. I'm not going to listen to the mess of the false teachers. I'm not going to listen to the mess that comes up inside of me. That's that fleshly sinful nature. I'm not going to worry about trying to attain the glory, the riches of this world. No, I'm going to look for the coming of Jesus. I'm going to live humbly and righteously before my God so that when Jesus returns, he'll say, well done. And that's the idea of what he's trying to say. Looking for that thing. Now, let's get to verse number 22, because as we come to the end of this epistle, Jude recognizes in the in the appearance of the false teachers, they have already made inroads. What do I mean by that? The false teachers are not just simply there and have affected only themselves. They have began to affect the congregation of people. Now, when we say the congregation of people, this includes those who are saved. And this includes those who are simply professing saved professing salvation and may not be saved, but they're in the community of the saints. And the point that Jude is going to make here is they have the false teachers have affected Christian so-called Christian people. And what Jude is going to do is this. Some people have fallen for the teachings of the false teachers. They have been persuaded and maybe even some of you, you're listening to some of that foolishness by T.D. Jakes and Rod Parsley and all of these things like that, all of the word of faith and word of life and all of this type of best life, Joel Osteen and on and on, like I've been telling you before. Some of you may have been influenced by that. Some of you have this, that, uh, let me say it this way, data do. Christianity. Some of you are not trying to live for Jesus with all that you can, but you make excuses for yourself. You make excuses to satisfy the flesh. Some of you have erred along the way. And so what is Jude trying to say? How to deal with people who have in some manner or another, to some degree or another, 
falling under the influence of false teachers. And that's what he's doing in the rest of this. 22, and have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. So that's, and that's the issue. So what is he saying? He said you got three, three groups of people, the categories that Jude is naming here. Notice, have mercy on some, that is the true Christian who is aware, has spiritual discernment about these false teachers. How should we regard people who've been influenced by them? And, and he talks about three classes. Some who are doubting. These are people who are mildly influenced by people, by false teachers. And you know, I've heard it. Let me, let me say it this way. Let me take a little time, guys. I think in giving you some of these examples, it'll help you understand uh, uh, how it pertains even right now. You know, some who are doubting, that is some, pe some people have been mildly influenced by false teachers, word of faith and all this other type of foolishness that you've heard me talk about so far. An example of this, I have heard uh, even people, uh, uh, certain, certain ones, and it's very few. And I've had to deal with this in the church and small church that I pastor my own self when people talk about the name it and claim it mess. All of this is word of faith. In other words, somehow by what you speak, you can control reality. Number one, only God can control reality by his words. Only God can barah. Okay, we're not going to get into all of that, but it takes us all the way back to Genesis chapter one. And it also uh, brings the idea of Hebrews chapter 11. By the spoken word of God, things came into being. We cannot change reality with our words. This is a false teaching and a false doctrine. Only God can change reality with our word. And that's why with the word of faith, the whole object of faith is in their faith. But for us true believers, the object of our faith is in God and the word of God. It's not in faith because your faith, your belief may not be the will of God. What did John say in his epistle in 1 John? And we know that we have the things that we request of him. What? When? When we ask according to his will, not according to ours. So the mindset, the teachings of scripture is that the believer should get in line with the will of God. Not try to get God in line with his will, not trying to get God to do what he wants God to do and not try to move God by your faith. You can't do that. God alone is God. And therefore, what is the teaching of Jesus? Even as we saw in the uh, Garden of Gethsemane, not as I will, but your will. And this was in one of the most desperate times in the life of Jesus. He still submitted himself to the will of God. What did the Bible even say concerning Jesus in the book of Hebrews? And he learned obedience 
by the things that he suffered. And it's one thing that people in this world of fake foolishness do not want to do. No suffering at all. But what did Paul say? Paul said, if you are not willing to suffer, you cannot reign. You cannot be glorified. Suffering is a part of life. What did Peter teach in the first epistle of Peter? Jesus gave us an example of suffering even suffering when you've done no wrong, but I'm not going to get into all of that. Okay, enough, 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 enough. The group that he's talking about, he said there's a first group, and, and the example that I was trying to give you was this, this particular person would always say, well, well, they can be sick, and they'll say, well, I'm not going to claim it. Well, that's stupid. Number one, you can't ask God to heal you of something you ain't claiming exists in the first place, but this whole idea basically coming with a uh, 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 mind over matter. And that's what it is. They call and want to call it faith. It's not faith, but it's really mind over matter. And the whole has to, has to do with this name it and claim it. And if I don't claim it, then it's not real. <laughs> Utter foolishness. But you see this foolishness being taught. You can say what you have. You can say who you know you cannot. No, you cannot. But anyway, let me go. First group is the is the lightly group. Those who are mildly affected by this false teaching. Notice what he says. Notice the notice the perspective that true, stable believers have mercy, have mercy. Why? Because they're starting to hear some of this foolishness and kind of believe it. So have mercy on them. Don't be too hard, but you want to save them. OK. Let's look at the second group. Then he says, what? Others save others by snatching them out of the fire. Now, these are people who now have, but they're believing in these false teachers. And notice what it says. Save them, snatching them out of the fire. Brother, the way that you're going is you, you, you're headed down the wrong road. And these are people who are not not just in doubtful belief, but as a whole are beginning to accept false teachers and their false teachings. And so what do you do? You merciful on them, snatch them out of the fire. You are going to a, headed to a place of judgment. Now, let me say what Jude is not doing. Jude is not talking about who's saved, who's not saved. Let's not look at it in that that way. Indeed, they may be saved. Indeed, they may not be saved. But the point that Jude is trying to make is you are headed down a wrong road. And in the judgment, when you stand before Jesus, you will not fare well. This will not go well for you. And this is what. So snatch them out of the fire, the fires of judgment as a Christian. That's first Corinthians chapter three. I think it's verse number 16 and 17. When Paul talks about there are different types of works. There are works that are works of value works. mean the, the way that we live, the things that we do that are acceptable before Jesus works of value. He calls them a uh, gold, uh, uh, Precious stone uh, uh, and silver, gold, silver, and precious stone, things that are refined and things that have value, lasting value. Then he said there are other kinds of works 
that do not survive the judgment of Jesus Christ. When Jesus looked at certain things, and this is all Christians, he ain't pleased with. He talked, he called those works wood, uh, hay, and stubble. Why? Because wood, hay, and stubble under the fires of judgment are quickly burned up. All right. But anyway, let's get back to the text. So he is saying what in the second class of people to try to save them because what you are in the wrong, you base, you are headed in the wrong direction because you are now assenting to what these false teachers are teaching. Then that third classification group is the worst ones of all because not only have they began to believe and accepted false teachings, they are literally practicing it. In other words, the things that the false teachers are now teaching them, they believe and they practice this. They believe and they practice this. That's why he says what? And on some have mercy, even with fear hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. They are completely engaged in this foolishness and, and, and for the idea, for the most part, for the most part, probably, probably these people aren't saved at all. And that's what he talks about, what? Having mercy with fear. You don't want to get tired of with that mess at all. But the mindset on whether what on whether some are doubting or whether you're snatching some by fire or whether some have been absolutely polluted. The point is you want to have mercy. So that's the perspective. That's the mentality that the true saints of God are to have a heart of compassion, not to ridicule simply these people, but to desire for these people to come out of that mess and come out of that false teaching. Why? Because when you stand in the judgment, it won't go well. And notice that very final group. These were the worst ones of all the garment polluted by the flesh. They are practicing. They are just, they, you just gone. You just caught up it. You just, yeah, that's the best word I can use. You are just simply caught up. Okay, let's bring this video to a close. So what's going on? He's been talking about these false teachers. He's been talking about the influence that they have on people. He's been warning about the judgment that will come upon the false teachers as well as those who follow them. And so what he's been saying, you who are true believers, hold to apostolic teachings, hold to the teachings. Remember that when he opened up his letter, to the once for all faith that was given by the apostles. Hold to the doctrine of scripture, hold to the teachings of apostles and other people who have been influenced by these false teachers have mercy and if at all possible, try to get them out of that mess. And so he ends with these words in verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy to the only God, our savior through Jesus Christ, our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. 
Amen. I really like that. I like to quote that. I like to quote that from the King James Version. You know, King James, I, just, King James, one of the reasons why you see King James is King James is very poetic in his translation. And I like it when it says, now unto him who is able to keep us from falling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. The only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. But what Jude is simply saying is this, as he is warning against not getting caught up with these false teachers, he says, ultimately, it is God who must protect us. Ultimately, you and I must rely on God who is able to keep us from falling into the pernicious teachings and ways of false teachings. Jesus said to himself, without me, you can do nothing. You can have all the scripture that you want. You can have all the Bible that you want. But ultimately, your reliance, our reliance on everything is the grace of God. God must keep us. God must preserve us. And God must protect us. And in this context, God must keep, preserve, and protect us from false teachers, right? Because of what? The judgment and the condemnation that will surely follow. All right, guys, thank you for joining with that. We have now finished the epistle of Jude. And the whole idea of what Jude was simply saying is this. Peter and the apostles warned that false teachers would come. And I'm saying to you that the false teachers have come. But know this for sure. As God judged in the Old Testament that we saw, the people that came out of Egypt, uh, the people in the days of Noah, angels that sinned in the days of Noah, and the people in the time of Sodom and Gomorrah, God would also judge these false teachers. And these false teachers only are concerned for themselves. They exploit people, and to the end, they are motivated by the flesh. But you remain in the teachings of the apostles and, the, uh, and, and their teachings. And other people that you see who have been influenced by these false teachers, have mercy on them and do your best to save them, to get them out of that mess so that they themselves won't end up judged at the appearance of Christ. Now in all things, rely on Jesus, rely on the grace of God to keep you yourselves from false teachings. And in all of that, I say to you, farewell. And that's the end of the book of Jude. And with that, let's give a moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, we are grateful once again, you have allowed us to complete another book very short book, but nevertheless, another powerful and potent book that is especially needed for the day that we live in. We are surrounded by so many false teachers. Give us discernment, Lord. Give us discernment to recognize when they are leading people or us in an ungodly way. The most important thing is that when you see people not stressing holy and godly living, that's when the problem comes. When they're telling you about having things in this life, in this world, and pleasing in your flesh and money and stuff like that, 
That's a false teacher. But Lord, help us. Help us to understand that just because there may be sometimes disagreement and understanding, that does not mean that individual is necessarily a false teacher. We need good discernment to know a false teacher, okay? But we can understand from the teachers of scripture, if you reject the teachings of scripture, you're a false teacher. If you reject that, if you reject what the Bible talks about, about our salvation, remember it said about licentiousness, you have turned the grace of our God into a license to sin. If you reject the person of Jesus, that he is God, made human flesh, he died for our sins. If you misconstrue, misconstrue the important doctrines of Christ, holiness, godly living, you are a false teacher. We need discernment in that. But anyway, thank you, Lord, for all of these things. Thank you for those who hear your word. Help us. And then just like the very last thing that Jude said, now unto him who is able to keep us from falling. We depend on you to keep, to preserve, and to protect us from false teachers, especially in this day's time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, guys, if you have found these teachings to be a blessing to you, will you support this ministry? And for those of you who have supported, let me just simply say thank you for those who desire to support. If God is moving your heart, I'm asking you to support. There's always a link in the description that you can use to support the ministry. All right, guys, that's enough for today. Don't know what book we'll be in the next time, but however it works, see you then.